0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: Okay, so... So equanimity has uh, two primary kind of two, there's two primary explanations for equanimity in Buddhism this early Buddhist tradition one is that it, it involves being balanced so you know if, if you're if you're walking a high rope high tight rope or something and you need to be balanced you know so that if the wind comes you can get your balance back you're not know, going to be pushed off um, or you're standing on a boat you have to keep, find some way to be balanced so you don't tip over and fall into the water. Um, if you are carrying a, you know a, a big, long plank of wood on your shoulder, you balance it on your shoulder so that you don't have those extra weight if one end is, sticks out further than the other. Um, when you have things balanced, things are a lot easier. If you're balanced physically in meditation posture, then your muscles have to, uh, don't have to work as hard. If you're leaning forward a lot. In meditation, then your back muscles um, work much more. And if you do that all day in meditation retreats, your muscles can get, you know, maybe, you know, an hour and you might get away with it, but six hours, eight hours, it's going to start, uh, your muscles start screaming because they're always being clenched and held as you, but if you're balanced, you can sustain it much longer. So uh, the mind also can be balanced, and so the meditative mind um, is balanced, and so it's not thrown off by things by how it is. I think of it almost like a physical strength, or physical balance that keeps the the mind from being thrown off. The other kind of uh, equanimity is the equanimity that comes from understanding. Uh, uh, There's wisdom operating. So uh, for example um, what comes to mind is this common scenario that's common enough in the hospice world where someone is dying and sometimes near the end of the death, if they're having a slow kind of little bit challenging death, and the mind is not working the usual ways, it's relatively common for people to get really angry and, and lash out at the people they love, they love the most. And it can be quite hard for loved ones to hear this and be part of that. And a good hospice worker will come into the family and say, oh, by the way, you should know that this might be coming. And um, if, if uh, that this often happens in the process of dying, and so don't take it personally. It's not, nothing to do with you. It doesn't reflect necessarily what's going on with your family dynamics. It's just part of what goes on in the brain as it begins to maybe get saturated with certain chemicals. Or who knows, you know, what's goes on there in the last couple of days. And so you hear that, and that understanding is there. And so you go, and, and at some point it, has, it does actually happen. And you, you have the understanding that you don't need not to take it personally. And so then you have more equanimity, you have less reactivity around it than if you hadn't had that piece of information. So <clears throat> uh, uh, one aspect of equanimity is more kind of the, the sense of balance that we can have. And when we feel in balance, we're much more easily pushed around. And the other is the equanimity that comes from understanding, from wisdom, seeing things more clearly, knowing what's going on so that we don't get tripped up by things. So, uh, with those definitions of equanimity, I would like you to uh, pair up with someone else and, uh, and discuss two things, share with the other person two things. One is, um, uh, as you hear this, what is your relationship, what's your attitude, what's your kind of, uh, t- with equanimity? How do you feel about this equanimity thing, now that we've been looking at it for an hour and a half? Um, you know, what's, what do you bring into this day, you know, with your attitude, your understanding about equanimity? How do you relate to it? What's your own personal attitude towards this equanimity thing? <clears throat> and then the second is, um, regardless of what your attitude is, even if you think it's the worst thing going, um, how is it that equanimity, being more equanimous, can be helpful for you in your life? Now, this doesn't have to be true confessions. You don't have to necessarily tell someone about, you know. Well, you know, I'm expecting the police to show up any day at my house and <laughs> <laughs> arrest me. And, <laughs> and if I'm more equanimous, I think I can, you know, <laughs> deal with jail a little bit better. So if that, you know, you might not want to share that with people here. You might, if it depends on what you're going to jail for, maybe. But, um, so you, you can choose what you talk about, you know, but if you'd like, you know, how is it that equanimity could, uh, would be useful for you? Where, what areas of your life would more equanimity be helpful? So those two things, your relationship to equanimity, equanimity and, and then how it could be more useful. And uh, we'll take about probably 15 to 20 minutes for this. And so your job, when you've partnered up with someone and are talking, that both of you are kind of tracking so the conversation is equal, like one person is not... Spending a lot of time uh, with, you know, majority of the time talking, and um, and the other thing is that as you talk about something, that's like how areas of your life where equanimity could be useful. um, Consider that you're not. This is not a normal conversation where you're telling these things for the sake of the listener, the person you're with. So you're not explaining it for their sake. They don't. Who cares about them, right now? The listener. Uh, You're. They're. They're. They're your witness as you explore this topic on your own for yourself. So you're actually listening. The important person to listen to yourself is you. So what's your relationship to it? Um, and what, you know, how could it be more useful to be a quantumist in your life? If you start telling a story that you know the story really well, and you've told it you know 30 times before, you know how it ends. Uh, say it quicker. Get, kind of get to the point. Uh, maybe that'll help you kind of explore the edges of your understanding. Um, because remember you don't have to, the other person doesn't have to understand everything you're saying it's not for the listener's sake they're the witness for this conversation does that make some sense? it's a different way of con- having a conversation and maybe that way you can kind of be a little bit more internal exploring this topic on your own rather than being concerned about the other person so much so let's see um, uh, if, uh, in a moment you'll pair up and if, uh, if you don't find someone to pair up with easily, walk towards the front. And that way that people who need someone can find them. To, and if there's one person extra, uh, I will help you uh, join a group of three so that there can be one group of three here. So I um, so want you... Uh, also, you can spread out. You're welcome to spread out in the other hall or in the conference room, just so we're not all talking in here. There was a lot of energy for that. (laughs) Couldn't you be a little bit more (laughs) equanimous? So, um, would someone like to uh, comment a little bit what that was like? Or anything you'd like to share that came up out of that discussion?
2: One of the things I like about speaking is um, I, I oftentimes discover things that I didn't know I knew um, uh, as an idea develops, and and and, and um, this kind of conversation and, and this specific one had that quality to it, and I, uh, for myself I could do it all day because it's very interesting what I what I find out.
1: Great, thank you. So I can move it down here to your left.
3: I was appreciating all the thoughts, sharing the insights that came up. And then the most important one for me was at the end when I was thinking, okay, now I have to let go of all my thoughts about what is and what isn't equanimity (laughs) and come back to my being Present in the moment with myself and what's next or what is in the moment, and also acceptance of the moment.
1: Great, thank you. Someone else here here in the front? Oh, it's over there. We
4: discussed a question a little that I that I had also like to ask you. um, Is Equanimity the same as non reactivity, or is non reactivity a, a part of equanimity, and there's more to it
1: i think it's I, I think that uh, by myself I think of non reactivity as being a part of equanimity, but that equanimity is much richer than non reactivity because um, um, I could be walking down the street and um, and, uh, and see a person and not react at all. And then further down the block, my friend I'm walking with says, you know, um, uh, that person there, you know, uh, that person was wearing, um, the local, local county jail uses, uh, dresses people in those kinds of clothes. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, usually you know, people don't wear that unless they've escaped from jail. And, uh, and then, oh, now, that's interesting. So I didn't react the first time because I had no idea that, you know, what it means in the local town to wear those clothes. But if I'd known it was an ex- escaped convict, I probably would have reacted more. So th- there can be non-reactivity from ignorance. <laughs> um, so I don't want to say that equanimity is the same thing as non-reactivity. So non-reacti- equanimity is much richer. It involves understanding, and balance of mind, uh, um, strength of mind, Make some sense?
5: Mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> I, equanimity, the way I see it, is when a person is really completely in the moment. Non reactivity is bringing something from the past, or, you know, mostly kind of like habitual tendencies. But I, I don't know. From, for me, equanimity, when you're really in the moment. Um, there still can be a response, you know, and it can still be strong. I mean, equanimity can have just unbelievable compassion in it, right. unbelievable happiness in it. It's just it's just staying in the moment. You don't get lost in a thought. But sometimes it does get a bit unbelievable where I, I can run away. You know, it lights up on me and you can see sometimes. It, uh-huh. But but it's still way better than reaction, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Nice, the, um, well here, you know, I said that non-reactivity is part of equanimity uh, in, in and of itself, but you, uh, the beauty about it, a strong equ- quantum state is you can be reactive. You still might have habitual reactivity that goes on, but it, it occurs in this spacious open mind or it occurs, it kind of floats up and it's there and you don't pick it up. It's kind of like you have a Teflon mind your anger—I've I've, had—I've had anger bubble bubble up in a, in a very spacious, open, equanimous mind, and it, it just bubbles up and it floats away. It, you know, so they, they, you know, whatever was going on, and part of me was reactive, but uh, but my home is in a non-reactive place. So that's uh, so you don't have to be non-reactive to be equanimous, but the equanimity has to be bigger than the reactivity, so that you don't pick it up, you don't react to the reactivity. Hopefully that makes some sense.
2: Yeah, it's a way to get back
1: to the current moment again, you know. Yeah. 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 You have to you're very much in the present moment. It? Go ahead, Helene.
4: Um <clears throat> I think I realize that I've had some confusion around um equanimity and non-reactivity and passivity. You know, I think a lot of times what I've done is I've I've been in a situation where I feel like I'm equanimous and I'm non-reactive, but I'm not really fully engaged.
1: Right, so so that's being indifferent or aloof or separated or pulled back or...
4: Right. So, I, it's been this false equanimity. Yeah. Go oh, I'm calm, I'm equanimous, everything's fine. When in fact, I'm not really fully engaged, um, because if I were to become fully engaged, maybe I wouldn't actually be able to do that with equanimity. And so maybe I don't actually attempt that.
1: Maybe. Or maybe, 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 but you're going to take it one step in between. And that means that if you are, it's possible that if you're sometimes being reactive in situations, is itself a sign that you're not fully engaged.
4: Could I sit for five minutes with
1: that? (laughs) (laughs) So for example, um, you know, with my kids, you know, I can be reactive around my kids. And sometimes, you know, I don't really want to be there completely (coughs) with them. You know, and and it's like, because I was not really there for them completely, I have other ideas and all kinds of things. But if I kind of surrender completely there with the kids, and do, enter their world and become a playmate for a little toddler or something. The, the, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't become reactive anymore because I'm not holding out, holding on to some other idea of what I think is supposed to be happening. So um, so the danger, I mean, cer- there certainly is danger with false equanimity. It's, it's, it's danger with, it's, there's plenty of dangers. Buddhism is... is <laughs>
3: the,
1: the, the, Buddhist, the Buddhist terrain is is peppered with dangers. <laughs> because you can get attached to anything and we can hold on to Buddhism as in like, you know, hold on to this stuff and these states and everything in a way that actually is problematic. But what protects us from that and that makes us the real heart I think, of Theravada and Buddhism, the protection, the safety uh, and the guide to the path is to constantly be mindful of the impact that our behavior has on us what's going on and be sensitive to that and because if there's clinging if there's some uh, resistance, if there's aloofness, you can, if you're sensitive you'll feel that, you'll see that, you'll actually be present for it. You'll feel the suffering of that and and the suffering becomes the guide so so if you're holding on to equanimity uh, and you're sensitive you'll see it's not quite right what I'm doing here.
4: I find it particularly difficult if I'm engaged um, with someone who is really angry and trying to stay equanimous and engaged with someone who's really angry, I'm finding is incredibly difficult.
1: Yeah, it depends also how they're angry. You know, and it depends how, how uh, if they have good cause to be angry with you. <laughs> of course not.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, I, you know, it's harder to be equanimous if they have good cause. and. <laughs> But you know, if they're just you know walking down the street, and you just happen to be at, you know nothing to do with you, it just you happen to be a blank canvas for their anger. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean this thing. This, I mean, I told you this. I think I told you last week. I think the story I had of being angry last year it was last year. <laughs> when. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, <coughs> Where, you know, all the, I, was, I was being mindful of the situation. Uh, someone, did, some, some, someone blocked my car. Uh, a, 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 I was trying to get out of the driveway. And this delivery truck was, trying to, was, was blocking my, my car so I couldn't get out. And so I, said, I, so I was mindful. I was aware of what was going on. I said, okay, this person's doing his job. I think I'll just sit here. I don't want to interfere with his job. And I could see him off in the distance with his dolly bringing these boxes into the restaurant. And so I'll just sit here and wait and let him do his business. And he sit here and wait and let him come back. And, <clears throat> and when he sees me waiting to get out, he'll move his truck. And so I sat there and he saw me there and he went, and he started filling up his dolly again <laughs> to do another run. And so I thought, oh, so then I said, oh, this is not good. And, I thought, and so I thought I was pretty mindful. I was, oh I'm c cal- I'm calm here and I think I'll go out and explain to him that I'm waiting here and be good if he can move so I can get out and continue with my life. And, uh, and I was tracking myself, I thought, being mindful, and I walked up calmly, and and, <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> How could you be sitting there, and you realize I'm here waiting to get out? <laughs> and, and I was kind of stunned, you know, <laughs> where did that come from? <laughs> and so here was an example of a person who's done this for a long time, who thought, thought I was mindful. I thought it was valuable to try, I was going to engage this person in a calm way, I was committed to being calm, and it didn't happen. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's not easy, but it's, but it's possible, and it's valuable to do this, and it's valuable to engage in this practice, in this process, in spite of the fact that we cling to the practice, we cling to the states, we, it doesn't always work the way we want it to do work. Overall, it's phenomenal, it's powerful, what we're doing here. So I don't have to be... For example, I'm not so embarrassed telling you this. I have a
6: question. I have a question. Um, I've been listening to the Dhammapada translation that you did and um, there's this line in it about living um, by paying attention to um, what is, you know, harmful or difficult. I don't remember the exact words. Instead of what feels good, you know, like there's this... You're, you're not remembering what one say, is. say again
1: what you think it says um,
6: <laughs> where really you're, the the what i'm remembering about it is that when you are going through life um, instead of living by following what is pleasant yeah. you um, are paying attention diligent attention to what is negative or difficult
1: um, yeah. yeah i don't know about that i don't know about that I mean, i'd like to see the the, the verse but but uh Certainly pursuing pleasure is a dead end if what you want to do is become free. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, some people focus so much on the negative that that's a dead end for them. And uh, looking at all the unpleasant. I think what exp- what's better is to be present for what is. And then when r- life brings you something that's unpleasant, then you need to kind of be present for that. When something pleasant comes along, be present for that. Enjoy it. Um, though, uh, uh, though sometimes we need to kind of nudge ourselves a little bit more to look at w- what's unpleasant in ourselves uh, to find the path to work on it. So if there's something negative, our negativity is up, some negative, what we call negative activity is going on, so even if it's, everything's pleasant around us, the path is not found in the pleasantness. The path found by resolving those unwholesome, unskillful tendencies here. So sometimes in Buddhism there's a, we nudge ourselves in the direction of suffering and clinging. To find the path, but uh, at least, especially in the Vipassana uh, tradition, uh, we rely a lot on just being present for what is. And you'll find out soon enough. Soon enough, you'll find out what's difficult. So, one more, and then we do the next thing.
7: So, this is a question about equanimity and pleasure. Um, The helpful example that you gave. Of equanimity and unhelpful emotions would be anger anger arises and an equanimous person can just have it arise and, and let it go but what about pleasure when you're, when you're experiencing you, know, you have passion, you experience intense pleasure What's, how does an equanimous person um, respond to that the emotion arises, the pleasure arises let's say analogous to the way uh, anger would arise what, what happens next in the equanimous person
1: what happens next? <laughs> <laughs>
7: so in other words, with the, with the anger, it arises, you let it go. But what, a, what about a feeling of intense pleasure, or joy, yeah, or love, yeah. or... Um,
1: well, you don't have to let go of the anger. Uh, the mind is balanced and equanimous. The anger arises and you just don't pick it up. It just kind of moves through. It does so, what it needs to do. So
7: how about with joy? Do you, do Same thing. It just moves it's, through rather than...
1: Yeah, same I mean, thing. I mean, sometimes it stays and lingers, but it moves through. You can have a lot of equanimity around physical pain. And uh, there can be intense physical pain. The mind is completely unfazed by it, unmoved. There's no ruffles in the mind. The mind stays open and balanced. And there can be intense uh, physical pleasure. And the same thing. The mind is unruffled by it. And, you know, it's undisturbed. Um, it stays still. And it's open. It's clear. It's cognizant of what's going on. It's present. And then it has, the, in, that, in that place, the mind can evaluate or decide. What's useful about this? You know, is it useful to continue doing this, or should I, you know, should I go see a doctor? Should I, go, you know, you know, do something about this pain, or should I? Is it okay to have this pleasure, or um, you know, is it, you know, or is it is it the wrong time and place for it? Or?
7: But but for some, that can dissipate the pleasure. I mean, if you're if you're experiencing the pleasure and then you start reflecting on it or, or considering whether you should stay in it, um, it can can take you out of it.
1: It can, yes. Some, it can, especially if it's too it's too discursive, the consideration. But I think in a very, very um, um, almost primitive functioning of the mind, there's always going to be some evaluation. What is this? What's going on here? And so it can even almost be pre-verbal, the sense of, you know, some people don't even see that they're actually thinking of it. But a very simple evaluation. Is this okay? Is this safe? Is this appropriate? It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, a lot of thinking about it, um, but maybe there is a lot of thinking about it. So, um, uh, it's sometimes, I mean, life is complex. So we, different, different, different situations require different ways of being involved. In meditation, um, uh, you know, the, the, uh, there can be very intense pleasure uh, with a lot of equanimity, a lot of peace, and, you know, and so, generally that's fine, but then if you're being mindful, maybe you can notice that you're clinging now. There's a, there's a lot of equanimity, but now you're clinging to the equanimity, a lot of pleasure, some equanimity, but you're clinging to the pleasure. And so the mindfulness reveals that, and so you can work with it. So does that, that makes sense? I feel, I feel a little bit dissatisfied, because I, I'm not sure I, I, I responded to you. It does. It does. good yes, you. You're satisfied. That's what's important, not me. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so uh, now we're going to do, um, before we go for lunch, uh, one more uh, kind of exploration for you guys of uh, this topic of equanimity. And uh, what I'd like you to do is um, well that has to do the, there are different things that support equanimity, different factors that um, uh, allow us to be equanimous. Uh, each of these factors we 're going to talk about. Uh, in itself, can help a person become quite, quite equanimous. And so I want you to, to go into groups, seven groups, and I want each group to talk about how this particular quality that I'll give you brings about equanimity, supports equanimity, is a, uh, can, can help a person be more equanimous. And then we'll, uh, and then one person in each group is, 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 should volunteer to be the reporter. And so when we come back as a whole group, that, in, that one person will report some of the things that were talked about in the group. Now, we don't have time for a long, detailed report listing every, what everybody said in some kind of detail. So the reporter is more impressionistic. So don't, as a reporter, don't worry so much about getting it accurate, what everybody said. Um, we'll, all, we'll all allow you now to kind of have a certain license to be more impressionistic, so, kind of, so you can be brief and kind of impressionistic about the highlights, the main things, or overall sense of what your group talked about and um, is that okay so it's seven groups so I think what we'll do is uh, is count off to seven and, and then so you know which group to go to so okay well thank you all for engaging in that conversation with your group so that uh, so that everybody knows the seven factors of equanimity they are um <clears throat> Ethical integrity, faith, a well-developed mind, a sense of well-being or happiness, wisdom or understanding, insight, being able to see clearly, and then freedom, the capacity to let go or, or having let go. So maybe we could start with ethical integrity. Do we have someone reporting from that group? No one? No No one? It's just so obvious to everyone that we don't have to discuss it. Yeah, yeah, one one person who kind of reports back a little bit the impression. (laughs) (coughs) That was part of the instruction. Yeah, yeah. Hmm? CILA, the sila. The sila group. Okay. So, is there someone from the sila group who who is going to do a report or would be, who'd be willing to do something? Mm-hmm. Remember, remember, it can be impressionistic. That's not to be completely ac- <laughs> accurate. You can do a dance. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, it ca- if it captures it well, yes. <laughs>
6: We didn't. We didn't assign a reporter. Um, I mean, I, I. think that we talked about. We did talk about wisdom. We talked about the ability to see clarity and the impact of one's actions on your ability to see um, the karma it manifests. We talked about um, sort of views, beliefs, and how they. Might impact one's opinion about one's ethical behavior, but that can be seen very differently. About how circumstances can um, impact what seems ethical and not ethical. Um, The impact of a white lie, um, you know. about, you know, when we're equanimous being able to uh, be in a more grounded, seated pyramid sort of base that is one's much more stable than if you're standing on your tiptoes and easily knocked over. Anything else?
1: Thank you. Uh, One of the things I heard in hearing your report, was how some like ethical integrity is connect, well, it's connected to so many other factors. Very quickly it's interconnected. So thank you. So and then we have um, faith. How is faith supportive of equanimity?
0: So we spent quite a bit of time defining different kinds of faith or trust or confidence, which were some words that other people in the group responded to a little bit more. Um, it supports because it's empirical and proven through experience or practice um, in the ability to allow someone to accept the present moment as it's unfolding. Um, there is conversation about how it relates to intuition, which can be a marker of faith. That the opposite of faith is a worry or kind of anxiety and there also dis- was discussion of what seemed to be three different kinds of faith. A um, more intellectual kind of certainty or strong view. A more ineffable kind of um, arisen response to circumstances in life. And then the more proven, proven embodied, or visceral kind of um, faith through practice. And there was discussion about the dangers of the first kind and um, some of the differences between the other two. Um, We had quite a bit of discussion about what is equanimity as well, actually, and um, the difference between equanimity as a goal and equanimity that arises through the practice and how certain views of faith can point to these mind states as being more of a goal and less of a process or a conditioned state. Um, and then spoke about equanimity in terms of balance and understanding and how the understanding aspect of equanimity has a sense of totality or unruffled acceptance to it that seems to point back to faith a little bit and then the the last thing that came up in our group was actually a question which was is an equanimous person a wise person
1: Good, great thank you very much Someone else in the group? Okay, so then next one is uh, how a well-developed mind supports equanimity.
5: I'll try to have a developed mind to answer that question. Um, it's interesting because I think in our discussion, there's the the developed mind, there's a wisdom that really comes out of that, like a trained muscle. I was feeling that we were getting in wisdom that comes from it and it seemed in our discussion we were also breaking it down seeing you know almost what's not the well-developed mind It felt like we were getting you know what does that really mean and we have emotions and and what's that about and and how to bring all that together and see it in a clarity and and I think the ultimate um, is getting that is there's an acknowledgement of these things happening and seeing that you know there can be observer not getting so lost in them and and in that then things get developed and unified so and to know and to remember our experiences like you were doing in an exercise, that there are moments where we have been equanimous, we have been that, and so there's a remembering. So even though all this stuff happens, I remember and I can recall it back in, it seems like, and so in that remembering, there's a remembering. So in the remembering, we then become unified and developed, and then the wisdom arises. Great,
1: beautiful. Thank you. So then the next one is a sense of well-being. How does happiness, joy, or... The variety of ways we have feelings of well-being support equanimity. John in the back.
8: Well, we thought we had just the most wonderful topic. (laughs) And um, it just... I think it's, there was an infectious sense of joy <laughs> talking about well-being, uh, which is a really testament to how beneficial it is to support equanimity. And we thought of yeah, it as is, this is warm blanket you know, that you've wrapped yourself in, that you, you, you just feel good, <laughs> you, you feel well. And um, that really supports, then, um, as the next moment comes and arises, it conditions a sense of openness, uh, a sense of uh, perspective, uh, a sense um, that an intention of love uh, can be there. And uh, Without that sometimes when um, there's a sense of our being that it's wanting, that something's wrong, that we need to change something, then when the next moment hits, uh, there's work to be done. We have to do something, we have to get involved, we have to stress, uh, you know, and suffering. Um, and so we found, just as we talked, very much empirically, well-being really does um, condition a sense of equanimity to emerge. Um, and uh, both the sense of lightheartedness that it brings to the mind and, uh, in a daily life, and then we also talked about in the practice of the jhanas and the deep concentration states, how the sense of energy and happiness then refines to a, a better state of well-being, if you will, or a more evolved state of well-being. And then that conditions the mind to be able to be open to a state of equanimity. So both in a daily life sense and a sense of deep concentration, um, being able to have a sense of well-being, that we can accept what, what, what is. We can have a sense of self-care, a sense of love and joy. Um, this then just conditions our ability able to receive whatever comes next.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. So the next one is how uh, wisdom or understanding supports equanimity.
3: <clears throat> Thanks. So um, at least two of the groups have said uh, the faith and the, the well developed mind referred to wisdom. And so we had wisdom with the question of, is wisdom necessary for equanimity? We did say that um, some wisdom that you go through with the practice, the four truths, the Dharma, the Eightfold Path, the, the awareness of impermanence, all of the various lists that we've referred to, they lead to equanimity. And that through practice, we get an accumulation of wisdom through our experiences and then what the practice allows us to see all along the way. Um, we also said the wisdom helps us to know that there are ebbs and flows and that reaction may not be necessary because things will change. That there's wisdom and understanding in seeing the stories that go on in our head. So in... in just witnessing that there are those stories happening and that wisdom is not trying to make the world different than it is and that without that we we may not come to that same conclusion with our practice and then um, so an image that we thought kind of helped a little bit was that um, rather than coloring our experiences maybe painting it over or making it be something that we'd like it to be. Wisdom makes our experience transparent. And that when we, um, thanks, Arthur, when we live with our practice, we have an understanding of things because we're practicing and um, not, not because we're creating a story.
1: Beautiful. Thank you very much. <clears throat> so the next one is... Um, kind of distinct from wisdom, is insight. How does insight support equanimity?
8: For us, um, insight uh, provides clarity about the current moment. Uh, Clear seeing um, provides information about how things really are. And uh, it just really helps us recognize things such as like past events and future thoughts can really cause our emotions and uh, cause the emotions in our body and how we're really feeling. And um, this knowledge can just really help us understand what's driving us. Is it fear? Is it love? Um, what's, what's really causing... Um, the decisions that we make.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. So then the last one, the freedom group that almost didn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> well,
9: we, we, we freed ourselves from our discussion eventually. Um, well, we were talking about uh, how equanimity is kind of related to freedom uh we want to graduate but the, the, the two sort of go in a circle. Uh, you develop equanimity and develop freedom and then the freedom can help you develop more equanimity and someone said it's like a chicken and egg thing and then I said yeah it's like a chicken and equanimity thing. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> okay. but how it's freedom from being stuck it's freedom from clinging to specific expectations and conditionings, where we're trying to be a separate self with a story. And that this, this can when this falls away, so that we no longer have a, we're no longer identified with uh, an agenda. In a dispute, we can be uh, free. And then uh, it was suggested that it's not so much that we. We're too attached to a sense of oddness, but it's uh, attachment to our specific wants and wishes. And then we uh, started talking about in the second part about uh, how sometimes this is reflected in your body, your bodily experiences, like you, f- you feel your body contract and then you uh, sort of breathe in to expand again. And, um, you know, you can talk about how your mind has all these filters, but sometimes you 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 just sense this tightness in your body, and then you want to, you're wound up and you want to let go. And we talk about how while we, this is sort of reflecting the talk, about how we we don't want to be uh, attached or clinging, but we do want to be engaged. We do want to have deep engagement uh, with the moment, but... um, and so we want to be, we've, someone mentioned freedom from versus freedom to. We want to be free from uh, things that entangle us. We want to be free to engage in an authentic way. Uh, and then we circle back again to sort of how these things are reflected in our body. You see, uh, you, you just want to stretch your body or uh, things like that. And you want to uh, feel this stuff physically. Okay, and that's it. Okay.
1: Thank you. So, <clears throat> it might be difficult to make yourself a quantumist because you want to. Uh, and many, many of these qualities in Buddhism sometimes are hard to just <clears throat> will up. Though sometimes you can kind of evoke it. Uh, and sometimes when you want to have, be supported by some quality like equanimity, uh, what we cultivate is the supporting conditions for it so that it can it can bubble up, it can be there. So being ethical is a supporting condition for equanimity because if you're unethical, you're probably going to be agitated and uh, you have more to worry about and more to be blamed for and things. Faith is a supporting condition for equanimity because you have assurance, you have some uh, confidence uh, that uh, you, there's meaning in life, there's a direction you're going, there's something of value that you're connected to that can help you in times of difficulty. Uh, uh, well-developed mind supports equanimity because as the mind is developed, uh, the mind is stronger than um, fear and anger and desire that might come through, and so you're not going to succumb to those forces so easily. <clears throat> uh, well-being is supportive of equanimity because uh, you have something really good that uh, brings a contentment, a satisfaction, Um, that makes it easier not to be caught up in um, unbalanced issues or again with desire and greed and um, fear and anger. Uh, Wisdom is helpful because there's a lot of different understandings you can bring uh, to bear to help investigate, to help you understand more clearly this particular situation you're in and having a good pool of wisdom in your back pocket uh, can uh, be very helpful so that you can see clearly what's going on. Then insight, uh, which is clear seeing, uh, is to see something uh, in, in great detail about what's happening right now and here so that uh, you're less likely to get uh, pushed over by it, or less likely to grab or to cling. Um, you can see clearly what's happening so that you can be free of these conditions. If you don't see clearly, you're probably not gonna, it's much harder to be free. And then freedom is a condition for equanimity because when uh, you're free, you're not going to react automatically. You're not going to uh, act on, on, uh, automatically on greed or hate or fear or delusion. Uh, there's this kind of freedom not just to be and be present, to be open and receptive and, and present. And in there becomes the, the, the vehicle for a wiser understanding about how to be in the world. Which brings us back to the first. <clears throat> which it, uh, it's uh, wise to be ethical. And then they, they all support each other. It goes around and around. So, if you want to be a, a quantumist, you might look at these seven different factors. <clears throat> See if there's ways that you can improve those in your lives. Can you be more ethical? Can you rely on something you have faith in or confidence in more, can you have a stronger sense of reliance that's useful for you? Can you, can you fall back on your sense of well-being can you develop your mind more? Can you cultivate more wisdom? Can you acquire more wisdom? Can you develop your capacity to see clearly? And can you remember to be free? So, yes, please. I just have a question that's been nagging It's right there in the... T-
4: I have a question that's been nagging at me and so I'm hoping that you can clarify it so that I can eat my lunch <laughs> equanimously um, it seems as I'm listening to you and to others um, that there is a, a clear distinction between wisdom and insight and in my own mind I see the two is, are the same and what's the difference?
1: So they, they don't have to be different they could overlap or you could use two words synonymously. some people do, some Buddhists do um, in, my, in the way I use the word, and what I had in mind in this list is that uh, wisdom is more, has more to do with understanding that you could, that's portable, that you can bring with you from one situation to another. Whereas insight has to do with seeing clearly what's true in this particular moment. So for example, um, uh, one piece of wisdom could be that everyone's responsible for their own conse- the consequences of their own actions. That's a that's a in Buddhism is considered very helpful support to being equanimous when you kind of allow people to be responsible for their their actions, and that's a portable piece of wisdom. Once you hear that idea and understand it, you can then carry it with you and remember. Oh, look at what that person's doing. Uh, The person has lung cancer, you know. And well, look, that's a consequence of smoking three packs a day for 40 years. And you know, you still feel sorry, feel (coughs) compassion and concern, but but there's a little more equanimity because you don't take responsibility. Like, oh, they came to my house and they're coughing and dying of lung cancer. Um, yeah, maybe I didn't clean enough dust. <laughs> you, know, you know, or it's up to me to fix them. So, so, um, so anyway, so, so it's a portable understanding that you, know, you can carry with you and apply to different situations. That's what wisdom is. Whereas insight, I see, is much more immediate and clear. And you don't have to have any portable... In fact, portable wisdom is, probably gets in the way. And Insight is so clear, you see what's happening... It's like, you know, if you put your hand on a hot stove, you don't need wisdom to take it away. You have, you can, insight is enough. You see, oh, this hurts, I should you know, move it. So that's what, how I, I see the difference. Is that okay? Yes. You can eat now? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
7: does, develop, does wisdom develop from insight
1: then? Yes, and insight develops from wisdom. Okay. So let's take an hour for lunch. So let's come back here at 1.40. But before we do, uh, let me say that I do have these handouts if you want today, uh, some quotes on, and, uh, and reflections, and also an a- article I wrote on equanimity. And if some of you would like to take about five minutes to come up here and sit near the front, I'm happy to tell you about... Uh